Hello, and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. that sound means it is the halloween episode uh i wasn't sure that this episode was going to happen and it still kind of feels like a not exactly the halloween episode of my dreams uh i have been well as you maybe can hear i'm in my new home uh, in the new bagpipe studio here for the podcast and i'm getting comfortable with it but yeah, still teaching, raising ramen, and moving uh, all at once has me absolutely beat. But I did find some really delightful music uh, to share with you, and uh, su- I sh- surprised myself by being a little bit prepared. I don't have like a big narrative like I often enjoy having on a Halloween episode with the songs and stories and folklore, but what I've been doing... Uh, throughout the year is just kind of paying attention to tunes that have that kind of uh, mellow and mournful tone that I tend to unlike, uh, tend to enjoy, but really tend to like, especially for the Halloween episodes. And like mostly because it gives me, I think about the music that like fairies or uh, trolls or whoever, like when they capture people for a year and a day, uh, I just always have that vision of the music switching to something kind of dark and minorful. And it's always fun to find music that fits and kind of sounds that way, or is actually written that way um, in the 18th century and, uh, you know, historic collection. So uh, anyway, so a bunch of stuff. And as much as I'm saying, you know, I was looking for tunes that fit the bill to hold off for the Halloween episode. Uh, that's not entirely true. Uh, some new sources that I looked through, I didn't actually get around to doing an episode on. So this is going to be our introduction, I think, to William Campbell. Uh, we're going to have quite a few tunes from William Campbell. I'm not actually sure if it's the same William Campbell. I've got one collection of um, stress based reels, waltzes, and Irish jigs. Uh, from William Campbell in 1795, and another collection of country dance music from William Campbell, um, but that's from 1815. So, like, a lot of time has changed. Uh, It's possible they're different William Campbells. It is not the least common uh, name in the world. But anyway, uh, to match the the Samhain occasion here, uh, the first tune is called Halloween. And I don't think this doesn't strike me as the same, like there's a a pretty well-known Scottish tune called Halloween or song. And this, I don't think is that same melody, or at least it's not ringing a bell uh, in my ear. So anyway, here's Halloween from William Campbell's Strasbe Reels, Waltzes and Irish Jigs for harp, pianoforte and violin with the proper figures as danced at Court, uh, Bath, Willis's and Hanover Square Rooms. Halloween. Thank you. 
Yeah, so that Halloween is not particularly spooky, but I think it, you know, bears reminding or remembering that, like, of course, like the old, the old school, like Halloween traditions before America had its way with everything of like ghouls and trick-or-treating and candies and what all, like candies is there, but it's not so much, I mean, it's ghosts a little bit, but it's all like matchmaking stuff, like all the kids games and and scotland and ireland there's just lots of fun like who's going to be my boyfriend and husband and wife and that sort of thing going on so maybe that's sort of feels like the um the vibe of that setting of halloween this next tune from the same book definitely has spooky vibes um but is uh not particularly uh not particularly spooky i guess i don't know the title is just called smith's orange and fork but it sounds cool and funky this is a weird uh very thoroughly attributed tune so this is from william campbell's trespass reels waltzes and irish jigs but it's you know smith's orange and fork and then it's by jay sanderson so i, I don't know man there's a lot of things going on here I should look into it but uh anyway it's a really cool tune so here is smith's orange and fork see now that is a spooky tune it's good and spooky uh smith's orange and fork by jay sanderson as appears in the 1795 collection from william campbell um it's another that whole collection is really cool and the next one that comes from william campbell also uh all of them have bass lines which i'm not playing at all of course uh so definitely worth looking at if you have a cellist <laughs> if you have a cellist in your life <laughs> you can go through and do some cool stuff um do some cool stuff with these tunes y'all i'm so out of it i like i've heard so many good tunes that deserve to be on the spooky episode at piper's gathering uh cassandra and leslie both performed these pieces that were just like perfect (laughs) that were just perfect for the halloween episode of themes of being bewitched by creatures or 
um, being captured by trolleys and uh, taught music for a year and a day. Like it's just so, so lovely to hear those stories. And then, yeah, this summer too. Oh, anyway, um, let's, let's get on to the next William Campbell tune here. So like I said, this is from 1815. I'm not sure if this is the same William Campbell or not. Um, both of these pieces, you know, both of these collections have, uh, both of them have bass lines as well as, as treble or whatever. And, uh, treble, but yeah, treble. Um, no, it does say that's piano forte and violin. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I had this big epif- this big thought because the the eighteen fifteen one is in some funky key signatures, uh, which always uh, some some when I see real funky key signatures, I, I get nervous and I assume that it is written for piano, right? Like how all of those, um, you know, like Edward Bunting and whenever people would print music for piano, they would use these bizarre keys that don't really match the normal. Um, folk tradition, as it were, um, but they fit on a piano. Um, anyway, eighteen fifteen, that Wayne Campbell collection has that begins with some some funky key signatures. But uh, you know me, I'm not paying attention to that stuff too much. I'm just making good music with this. It's it's been it's been really interesting. I've had a couple of conversations from people uh, about some of my interpretation of the David Young tunes. Um, and it's been really nice. It's actually been lovely to get some pushback on, like, here's how I'm doing a thing. Uh, and pushback's too strong of a word, maybe, but, like, suggestions for how it might be closer to how it's written. Um, and the other thing I love about that is it means people are looking at the show notes, because uh, I've been putting show notes together for years now. I don't think anybody looks at them or downloads them. On the Patreon now, you can, like, get a tune book for just about every episode, too, that'll have the archival source. But uh, people are looking at them and having thoughts about different ways to do it, which is just sort of my dream of like what this podcast could do. Um, and it's been really exciting to, uh, kind of have the slightest push of, of pushback so that I am in a position to have to really clarify why I play things the way I do. And I'm not going to talk about it too much right now. Cause I think that might be my season eight opener is like a manifesto of sorts and, uh, sort of just a revamped version of the talk I gave at Piper's Gathering anyway, which was about this, about like why I play music the way I do. Um, anyway, so this is a tune. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to include this. I recorded this a long time ago. Uh, and I was like, oh, the crown prince. I don't know. Maybe it's a fairy crown. Maybe a fairy prince. Maybe that's why I like this. And then I listened back to it and I was like, holy cow, this tune slaps. It's so good. Um, so this is another William Campbell collection. Like I said, not sure if it's the same person. Yeah, sorry for rambling. I'm just tired and maybe in a haunted house. Who knows? Uh, anyway, this is Crown, Bits, Crown Prince from William Campbell. Definitely playing it in a key signature it's not written in, but I think it makes some pretty stellar music. So here it is, another spooky tune.
like that tune. Okay, so uh, that tune, man. I that tune. I just feel some of these tunes when I play them in these weird keys. They just I feel like I am stuck in fairyland and like being forced to do a country dance over and over and over again. And in fact, like the tune when I was playing it, sort of bewitched me. Like there's a DC. Like I, I'm supposed to go back and play the first part. And and it that way, and I tried to, but I couldn't. I couldn't end there. It just kept going. I was like bewitched by the tune. So, yeah. As as much as the Campbell's collection is for country dances at court and Bath and all that, that's definitely that's a fairy crown prince. I tell you, fairy crown prince. Uh, all right, next tune. Another one with a weird key signature. I'm not crazy about this tune, but it's the next one on the title page, right beneath the crown prince. So. Uh, and it's not bad. It just it didn't move me quite the same way. Uh, anyway, this is Lord Saint Orville. pretty good tune it's not it's it's not bad anyway one of the one of the interesting epiphanies i had i think uh while giving the the presentation of piper's gathering was just this epiphany that my default was sad <laughs> like i don't know if it's being a historian or talking about indigenous history or gender and sexuality history or just the state of the world but like i i like i'm comforted by putting tunes into like minor sounding tones and that sort of thing um but you know i'm and i'm i feel comfortable that that's a thing that happened historically but not super confident like it makes me a little anxious like am i making all the music sad which is you know and then right when i'm having doubts about things like that i get uh, a little plum dropped on my lap and that is william campbell's collection here um you know he's he's got a couple several of his tunes throughout his collection have the melody kind of the chipper melody and then he'll just have a minor variation where he just drops it into a real funky thing and the thing i like about it too is he doesn't change the key signature he just does what i would do like he just like switches where he's playing the notes and it makes it sound like it's in minor because like i say minor but i'm not putting it in a minor key i don't know how to do that i don't know what that is um, so the key signature isn't changing here. It's just going from what I think of as kind of a major bright tone to then that kind of more sinister or depressing sort of tone of minor. Uh, I guess he hasn't changed the signature, but he does mark two. He marks um, uh, G. 
I guess he marks the G's as sharp, but anyway, uh, I'm sure you, you music theory heads will know what's going on here, but this is a tune again from that 1815 William Campbell collection. This is Arabella. And then it goes, it has a minor variation built into it. top of Campbell's minor I also played it on a sea chanter with D drones going so the whole thing sounds sort of minor but still I like that that minor section all right this next one is another another one that's just super super slaps uh it's a country dance tune royal visitor uh royal visitors is what it's called and this one again has a minor variation uh and for this one he doesn't change the key signature except marks the A's, uh, the A's and the G's as sharp this time around. Oh goodness! And the high G's is flat. Am I reading that right? Who knows? It looks funky, but it sounds really cool. And this is another one of these tunes that you just like transport me to a fairy court, being stuck in a country dance. Royal visitors.
Yeah, that tune's super cool. I could definitely use a couple dozen more takes on it, but uh, it's sort of funny now at, at this point when I'm recording a tune, I'm like, oh, that's going on the album. So I know I'm going to revisit it a bunch later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the last of our tunes from Lean Campbell. It's a cool collection. Uh, I should look through it some more. There's one other tune I recorded that I'm not crazy about the recording, and I'm not crazy about the tune either, so definitely going to revisit William Campbell, uh, both of those collections, and see what's up. Uh, okay, some tunes. I, I kind of went looking through some favored, uh, some favorite settings here, uh, or some favorite sources anyway. So this is John Sutherland. So we just talked about John Sutherland, right? He's the uh, piper from Aberdeen in the 1780s. He played pastoral pipes and highland pipes and uh, other things. But uh, anyway, this is a good kind of mournful tune. This is Alas, Poor Soul. Well, that was some of the first uh, inland piping I've done in the new house, and it means I haven't played inland pipes for a couple of weeks, uh, and my drones are not up to snuff for making good music uh, where they can handle the octave jump and stuff, so we just went sans, went sans drones there, which is good in its own right, um, but yeah, I do wish I had a good story and a solid development of drones that would be just the ticket uh, to make that even better. Uh, Alright, this is another one from Sutherland's Manuscript. Uh, again, not particularly moody, but a good title. So this is The Devil's Dream from John Sutherland.
nothing like a good devil tune. Uh, yeah, devil stick the minister, devil in the corner. Oh, devil in the corner. That was, uh, I was just watching Jenna Bagpipe's TikTok feed. She just wrote a new tune. She called Devils in the Corner. Kind of gives me Tamashanter vibes. I think the devil's like playing bagpipes in the corner of Tamashanter. Anyway, that's good stuff. Uh, all right, let's look at uh, this next one. This is from a collection I don't think I've ever looked at. This is Abraham Macintosh's 30 New Strasbay Reels, etc. Uh, this is a tune called The Witch's Hill. I'm not sure if this is a spot of a witch execution or, or what. But um, anyway, it's an interesting tune. It kind of drops below the scale, but I played it i just i kept playing it to try to come up with something i liked with it and and really wound up rather enjoying the tune so anyway here is the witch's hill from abraham mcintosh in 1792 That's a pretty delightfully haunting tune. I never really know what to do about witches. I think there's a... I was watching that um, 
that Men in a Kilt show or whatever. My mom's really into that, so we watched it together. And I miss Scotland pretty much always, so um, we were watching that. And, like, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, like, too sensitive. I'm sure I'm too sensitive, but I was more than a little uh, annoyed at... There's an episode of that show where they talk about the witch burnings and... Uh, and it's just all good fun. They're just all making a big joke about it. And it's like, those are real people. Uh, we're kind of destroyed. I don't know. I don't know if it's because like, I've known a lot of witches, uh, and known a lot of pagans and indigenous people who would have been called witches, um, or various like heathen things and be subject to those sorts of tortures or, or what, but I just, I never know, like, there's part of me that wants to embrace the fun of, like, witches and fun Halloween stuff, but, yeah, I don't know, I, I think Witch's Hill is probably about a witch burning, but it might not be, but I'd assume that that's the place of burning. I, I need to know more about that material, but, yeah, I don't know, does anybody else get weirded out by this? Like, I, I kind of, it was... Scotland has successfully skeeved me out a bunch and it's often because of the baggage I bring to it, right? Like, I think I've talked about this already, but going to the Orkney Islands and visiting the cairn of the um, sea eagles and they just handed out bones from people that were in the burial cairn. And like, maybe they were lying and they were replicas, but they they said like, here's the real bone, here's the skull of the person. Uh, which is just from like an indigenous studies perspective in America, like horrific. Like that's exactly the sort of thing that uh, was that like tourist attractions did in the United States, like showing off native bones. It all just sort of rooted me out. Uh, anyway, speaking of like, I just don't know. I'm like being weirded out. I mean, like this this new place is a lovely house, but it's very big and it makes sounds I'm not familiar with. And the first couple days after we had it, but hadn't moved in yet, um, every time I came in, I I was making several trips, like, late at night, and I heard voices, and, like, lights would turn on. Like, I'm not entirely sure that this place isn't haunted. Uh, Not that I've ever experienced actual haunting, but I'm definitely capable of being spooked out by this place. But... um, Anyway, here's another uh, another set, speaking of witches. This is a kind of lovely set of tunes. This is from Joseph Lowe's collection of real stress bays and jigs. Lowe has a bunch of really cool collections. This is book four of them. I, I've never really dabbled in them much. They, they show up a lot on traditional tune archive, and so I kind of look at them, and they're always a little bit later that I'm interested in, but I was looking for tunes with witches in the title, and found this one, The Witches, uh, and then he also has The Warlocks as a stress space. So this is The Warlocks, and then Into the Witches. This is on the same page, and it's a lovely set of music.
That's a lovely tune. Even sitting here listening into a uh, possibly haunted or like cursed home. I don't know. Not cursed. It seems seems fine. Just maybe there's voices doing things and turning lights on and closing doors and stuff like that. Who knows why that stuff happens? Anyway. Hello, this is John Charles, the official archivist and biographer for Dr. Jeremy Kingsbury, better known as Way Too Twog. And uh, that's the last known audio footage we have of him. Uh, As you all know, on this podcast, we've been playing the wax cylinder recordings left by Jeremy from the late 1700s up until his mysterious disappearance in 1823. And uh, what we just heard was the final wax cylinder, uh, so that's, that's the last known recording of his voice. And I hope you've all enjoyed going through these old recordings as much as I have. Now, it's really hard to be satisfied with that. The man vanishes from history, leaving no further trace. Uh, And so my my final task as his official biographer is to investigate his infamous disappearance, see if I can make sense of the myriad of legends and conspiracy theories surrounding the event. The most famous legend is, of course, the story of the Kingsbury Stone in Norway. Uh, As listeners are all aware, the Kingsbury Stone is said to have suddenly and magically appeared on the exact day of Jeremy's mysterious disappearance, October 21st, 1823. No doubt we've all seen that History Channel documentary multiple times now. For the sake of academic integrity, I had to dig beyond the sensational pop culture narrative and get to know the source material firsthand. So I consulted with my colleague, James Moyer, tenured professor of philology at Miskatonic University. James knows every language, real or fictional. He was able to translate the engravings on the Kingsbury Stone, and cross-referencing that with Dr. Kingsbury's encoded journals, he reconstructed the original version of the myth. The story goes that Jeremy was magically abducted by the King of the Trolls. Or some say that the Troll King lured him to his home under a false pretense, but... All the legends agree that the Troll King trapped Jeremy in a stone prison, holding him for ransom. For Kingsbury's release, the Trolls demanded a musical tribute. Songs and stories of the other world, tragic tales of love and loss and human heartache. And only when the Troll King receives these things will he release Jeremy from the Kingsbury Stone. Now, the academic in me wants to call that a legend and and nothing more. But I felt compelled to see if there was any truth to the story, if it was at all possible to lift the curse. So I set out to assemble a team of musicians around the world whose performances could possibly free Jeremy from this enchantment. This led me on a worldwide quest spanning 366 days, which I'll recount to you now. The first leg in my journey was the bullet train from Milwaukee to Montreal. And there I met with Jenna Bagpipes, also known as Jenna Dennison. I had heard that Jenna once beat the devil himself in a piping contest. She beat him fair and square and won the devil's own set of pipes. When I asked Jenna to play a tune that could lift Jeremy's curse, she wrote a tune right there on the spot. It's called Devils in the Corners, and it goes like this. 
Next, my journey took me to Connecticut to find Leslie Ann Harrison, the great flute teacher. I found the tallest mountain in Connecticut, and as I climbed, it seemed to grow taller and taller, and I climbed for three days and three nights straight. And when I reached the summit, I found Leslie, taking her ease and giving concert in a grand hall. And I asked her what tune or story she could share that could free Jeremy Kingsbury from his prison, and she shared this. So, does anybody know a great tune called the Charlie Burn? I had the really, uh, yeah? Oh, wonderful. I had the good fortune of learning it from a couple musicians who I met in Ireland. They're from the Shetland Islands, and they taught it to me. And the story they told me is a trowie is a little troll, a Scottish troll, who hides under bridges and snatches innocent passers-by and takes them away to the other world for 20 years. And they come back and they are musicians and they play wonderful music. Um, and that sounds wonderful and also sad at the same time. So it's a great tune because it fluctuates between E minor and a G major kind of situation, kind of the bittersweet nature of that whole uh, story. I'll give it a go. Leslie's story of the Trowies reminded me of a wise friend of mine back home, so I returned to Wisconsin to find Christian Wenzala. Now, few people know that Christian was once taken away by Trowies. He lived with them for 20 years, and by the time he returned to us, he had taught the Trowies a lot of music. 
I asked Christian for his most tragic story, and he told me about Bonnie Susie Cleland, whose family disowned her and murdered her for falling in love with an English soldier. Or maybe Susie Cleland never existed, and she stands in for all the women wrongly killed during witch trials throughout history. After he told me the story, Christian sat under an ancient willow tree, and he played this. Next, I needed a tune from Cassandra Balasso-Barden. Cassandra has played every single bagpipe in every single country, and she wasn't easy to catch up with. I had to follow a trail from France to London to Bulgaria, and eventually back to Connecticut on a dark and stormy night. I asked Cassandra for her most powerful tune, and she shared this. Um, and so during my travels there, I met some lovely musicians, and then I met this nickel harp player who told me this story. And basically, this tune was written by a nickel harp player um, who was walking in the woods in Sweden one day. And um, he sees a river at the bottom of the woods. So he goes down towards the river. And there, in the middle of the river, he sees this incredibly beautiful creature. So he moves forward to the edge of the water. And he sees the creature go further in uh, to the water and at some point comes out of the water and goes towards the tree line. And just as the creature gets to the tree line, they turn around, and as they turn around, they disappear. And at that moment, the musician realizes that he's in the middle of the river with water up to here, and that he almost drowned. And he realizes that what he's just seen was a water nymph. And so he went home, and he wrote this tune. So at the very beginning, I'm going to do my own introduction. There is the sound of the wind in the leaves. It kind of goes well with the lightning outside. <laughs>
My quest to free Jeremy was nearly finished, but I had to learn a tune for myself, the sweetest, most sorrowful tune that I could play on the pipes. I traveled to the home of the great storyteller, Eileen Budd. I sailed for three months and seven days and through a haunted wood to the foot of an old Pictish hill fort. Or some say it's a fairy city and that Eileen knows all their stories. I asked Eileen for an old and beautiful ballad that I could play on the pipes and she told me this story. There are many Arthurian legends to be found in Scotland. In Angus, where I live, we have a Pictish sculptured stone called Arthurstone, which is said to depict an Arthurian legend, the legend of Menorah, who was torn apart by wild dogs. Some of our Arthurian legends come from Ireland, some come from Wales, and others are especially Scottish in origin. Clan Campbell, one of our most notorious, oldest, largest of clans in Scotland, played a huge role in the preservation of Arthurian legends. And this was partly because the bards and historians of Clan Campbell long claimed that the Campbell chiefs had lineage going all the way back to King Arthur himself, and that Arthur's court was actually to be found in Dumbarton, which of course just happens to be the first seat of Clan Campbell. In other places in Scottish folklore, we find King Arthur's naive knight, Percival, the first of his knights to take up the quest for the Holy Grail. His adventures are recorded in Scottish Gaelic, in stories, songs and poems. They are recorded as the story of the great fool, because of course Percival was very naive. The song Ambrombin, the melodious sweet sorrow, this one tells a story of Arthur and another of his knights, Sir Gwain. Now, versions of it are to be found again all over Scotland, from Perthshire from the 18th century to Argyll to North and South Uist, Bembecula, Barra, Lochalsh, Skye, Tyree, all the way up to present day in Col. Now, some of the variations have a giant to vanquish in them. And some of them have sirens and some have other kind of treacherous beasties. And the version of the story that I know is from my home uh, of Perthshire, where I grew up. And the Perthshire version, as well as the Argyll version, begins with the hunt and a dream. Now, throughout all the variations, the story remains fairly true. 
there is a woman, a witch or an enchantress, and she wants to kill King Arthur. And so she uses her magic to enter into his dreams. And when he wakes up, he's just fallen in love with her, with this enchantress that he's never met, that he's dreamt about. And he has to find her. He must find her. And Sir Gwen seeks her out, although in some versions it's Fingal. And finally, whoever the champion is, he finds her in a castle in the middle of the sea. And she plays music for him and he falls asleep. And then she decapitates him. And now that you know all that, I can tell you the version of the story that I know. And it begins, as I said, with a hunt and a dream. King Arthur was out on the hill hunting deer with his dogs when he glimpsed a hind in the woods, so he held up his bow to take aim, but suddenly he became so inexplicably tired that he dropped his bow and he fell fast asleep where he stood. His dogs stayed beside him and whined for their master. They could tell something was uncanny about his sleep, and they were right. For many, many, many miles away, an enchantress was working her magic. She was keeping Arthur asleep so that he would dream of her and so that she could lure him to her. And Arthur did dream of her, of her beauty, her golden hair, her blue eyes, her melodious voice. He dreamt that she played her harp for him and sang to him in a voice so sweet sweeter than wild honey. He woke up at the start, grabbing his weapons, and he swore that he was going to fight anyone to get to that fair maiden that he dreamt of. He vowed to search the country for her. But his men were suspicious, quite rightly so, and one of his knights, Sir Gwain, offered to go in the king's place. He promised to search ceaselessly until he found her and brought her to Arthur. And Sir Gwain searched at sea, for three months and seven days without seeing any kind of land. And finally he found her in a white castle in the middle of a roaring blue ocean. And the castle was gleaming because it had so many windows. And in those windows gleamed cups and goblets of gold and silver, sparkling in the sunlight and reflecting the ocean's foam. As Sir Gawain brought his ship near, a great black hooked chain came crashing down and just missed him. Sir Gawain ran towards it. He wasn't scared, and immediately he began to climb it. And at the end of this very long, huge, great big chain, he found a chamber, and in that chamber he saw a beautiful woman with golden hair and the bluest of eyes, and she was wearing a white robe and she was playing a clarsach, a harp. She was singing. She was singing in the sweetest voice, and it was the sweetest of all music he had ever heard. And he was overcome by the power of the enchantress. And she bid him come close to her, which he did, gladly. And then he lay his head on her lap. She ceased playing on her harp, and instead she began to stroke his hair as she sang. And as she sang, Sir Gawain fell asleep and dreamed of other seas and other lands. And as he slept and dreamt, she drew his sword from his belt. She gripped his hair in her porcelain hand and she cut off his head 
with his own sword. And that is the story with a melodious, sweet sorrow. the whole story of my quest up until the present day. At this point, I've collected what I believe to be the world's most sublime and sorrowful performances. And if the legends are true, then these performances could be the key to freeing Jeremy from his enchanted prison. All I have to do is play them at the Kingsbury Stone, and the curse should be lifted. Now, I consider that this could be my final recording, and so before I continue, I want to acknowledge all of the contributions. A uh, huge thank you to today's performers, Jenna Bagpipes, Leslie Ann Harrison, Christian Wenzala, Cassandra Belosa-Barden, and Eileen Budd. Uh, you can find links to all of their websites and profiles in the show notes. And a uh, big thank you to everyone for listening, for coming along for the ride. Uh, I appreciate you putting up with the melodrama of this for a bit. Um, there's likely not some troll king who can secret you away, uh, and you definitely don't draw his attention by... <laughs>